Hey guys, this is Ian with Ian um, with Ian reads the Bible. That's what this is. Episode three. We're going to be kicking off in Matthew today. Um, quick housekeeping note today: the uh, if you haven't already heard, the winner of the 2020 presidential election for the United States of America was called by many press sources, saying that uh, Joe Biden won the presidential election. So. Congratulations to Mr. Joe Biden, uh, Biden, excuse me. And um, yes, new president, new times. A lot of people, I live in a very liberal city. I myself am incredibly moderate and uh, don't really have a dog in the fight, but feel feel very strongly. Here's the thing, listen, people are celebrating uh, and I, I encourage that and I love that. The thing is there's just as many, if not more Trump supporters than there ever were. Uh, 65 people voted for Trump in 2016. And we haven't we haven't finished counting. We're already at seventy million uh, people that voted for Trump. So I don't. I mean, that's that's to me more more interesting. You can say, yeah, more people voted in the election, and that's that's true. Um, there's no doubt about that. But still, like those people are just as prevalent. I don't want to say those people, but the people that the liberals, my liberal friends, seem to be very concerned about. There's just as many of those. But I, I don't want to get up, caught up in the politics. That's just my little rant. You take what you will from that. Because uh, we're here not to get into politics, but we're here to get into the infallible word of God. Uh, and we're picking up in Matthew chapter eight. All right. Now, if you uh, have been listening, which I hope you have, this is episode three and we've already covered uh, one through seven. So I'll give you a quick recap on the last episode that you may have missed, which is chapters five through seven. One of the interesting things here is the uh, Sermon on the Mount, very popular. Jesus kind of makes his major league debut here as far as preaching goes. Um, and it's, that's, you know, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool, right? So some of the things that happen is he uh, makes his first sermon. We, uh, he talks about he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. He does a lot of these like, kind of like weird back and forth middle ground things. He said, uh, you know, things like this. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So he's like, he's like doubling down on everything, but in like a weird way, like in an unattainable way. It's kind of like the Jesus thing, especially here at the beginning of Matthew chapter Five, retaliation. You have heard an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn him the other also. Um, yeah, we talked about some of the political implications of some of these things and what it all meant. So it was a good time. You should go back and listen to that. I don't really want to break it down. Talked about fasting. Talked about prayer. The uh, Lord's Prayer is in here. Is that the Lord's Prayer? Yeah. Our Father who has in heaven. Lord's Prayer, is that right? Um, let's see. And everything should be on. Golden Rule was in here. Treat people the way you want them to treat you. Uh, false and true teaching. I don't really remember that. Um, and then uh, some parables. The uh, wise man who built his house on the rock. The foolish man who built his house on the sand. 
Matthew 7, 28. When Jesus has finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching for he was teaching them as one of having authority, not as their scribes. And that takes us directly into Matthew chapter eight. Okay, so let's get into it. I kind of feel, I gotta be honest with you. Uh, there's there's the update for you. I, I, I feel a little bit disconnected. Um, all this political stuff really gets me riled up. And it's been a while since I've recorded one of these podcasts. I had the first couple built up, but anyway, bear with me. I'll land this plane. Matthew chapter eight. When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him and a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. A leper is someone who has leprosy. Um, seems a little bit derogatory. I think, uh, I don't know if leprosy is still around. I think it is though. I'm pretty sure um, it should be a person experiencing leprosy would be the correct terminology. But the Bible was written quite a long time ago and there are some non-PC things in here. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing be cleansed. And immediately, immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So he's like, hey, don't tell anyone. I'm just laying low, but go show the priest. The priest should know what's going on, right? This is after all the son of God. And there have been many prophecies um, discussing this. And so, you know, here he is. And when Jesus entered Capernaum uh, after this is immediately following that passage. Entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying, paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, centurion is a, um, a Roman guard. I'm like, I'm like 50% sure of that. A centurion is a Roman guard and kind of of high status. And the interesting thing is uh, Jesus is, talking to and coming for primarily Jewish people, which is the, uh, the God religion at this point. And the Roman people are oppressing the Jewish people. They don't like each other. The intention was that the Messiah, AKA Jesus Christ was supposed to fight the battle and defeat Rome. That is what the Jewish people of this time were expecting. And that is not exactly what they got, but that should be noted that this is strange that he is talking to basically what is considered the enemy, a Gentile, if you will. But he's coming up to him, coming up to Jesus, and he's confident. Centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word, just, and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority with soldiers under me. Noted, all right, that's what a centurion is. He's a man with soldiers under him. So he's like a like a sergeant in the Roman army, military. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to the other, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, truly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. Oh, yikes. That is a heavy hitter. Listen, this guy is not good to the people of Israel, okay? And now he's coming up and saying, no, this guy, the enemy, the sinner, this Gentile person has the greatest faith. 
that is not going to make the people of Israel, the uh, Jewish people, happy. This is bad news. Jesus is not doing good for his PR. He should have a PR manager. Um, PR, short for public relations. His relations with the public. This is a... Okay. Truly I say to you, I have not found such a great faith with anyone in Israel. I say to you that many will come from the East and the West and recline at the table with Abraham. Recline at the table. They're just kicking it. We're just kicking it with the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Hey, yo, what's good? We recline, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness. In that place, place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'm, uh, I'm getting my words jumbled up here. I apologize. Weeping and gnashing of teeth is uh, primarily referring to the traditional view of hell. Yikes. So these people that are cocky people of Israel. They're going to come from the East and the West and recline at the table with Abraham. I think that's what he's referring to. Um, these people that are, you know, yeah. But the sun, you know, all these people from the East and the West. So that's the people that are not just in Israel, the people from across the lands, if you will, they're going to recline at the table, just chilling with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom, the people, the chosen of God, if you will, the Israelites, the people of Israel will be cast out into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping of national of faith. They're, they're going to hell. If you believe in that sort of thing, hell is not specifically mentioned many times in the Bible. And Jesus has not made mention to hell except for the outer darkness in the place where we find weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's definitely a place and it's not good. And Jesus said to the centurion, go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. Boom. What is good? Jesus to the rescue. When Jesus came into Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she got up and waited on him. That's interesting. Healed and then swapped in. Like, now Jesus, tell me, what can I do for you? Can I get you a LaCroix or perhaps a, a still non-sparkling water? Now, this is interesting too. Um, Jesus is sort of building up his reputation or starting to of just healing people. The person with leprosy, experiencing leprosy. The uh, centurion with a servant that is sick. And now this um, uh, Peter's mother-in-law is not doing well, which is interesting. It's There's certainly some sort of power happening here if we're taking this as literally happening. So it's interesting to think about what would it have been? The, of course, traditional Sunday school answer would be the power of God or the Holy Spirit or that Jesus is the son of God, something along those lines. But it's interesting that Certainly something is happening here and he has the ability to heal sick people. Um, very cool, very cool. When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon possessed. Now he's up in his game and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. 
very interesting. And also demon possessed, you got to think what that would look like. That could have been some sick people. It could have been legitimately demon possessed people. Um, I can't say this with certainty, but it seems like if there were sick people, some of them would have been counted as demon possessed because modern science had not progressed as far as it has today. Back then, um, demon possessed would be a nice coverall for a lot of sicknesses. He cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. This was to fulfill what has been spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Very powerful, matching up with the prophets. And now Jesus saw a crowd around him. He's building a reputation. Even though he's not the most PC guy, he does seem to have a little bit of a cult following. He gave orders to, uh, that was not the, that was not the Bible. That was my narrative. He gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. And then the scribe came and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of his disciples said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. This dude is looking to follow Jesus. But he has the honorable task of burying his father. Now, this could mean literally his father has passed and that he needs to bury him. That would be a literal interpretation. But the other idea is that his son maybe has a couple years to die. So he's saying, no, 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 listen, listen, my son's, oh my, not my son. My father is going to die soon. Can you please just let me, you know, take care of him till he's dead? And then I'm going to come through and follow you. That would be another interpretation. But I'll leave that for you to decide. I'm sending a text. Is that rude? Um, I would edit this out normally, but I, I want I want it to be I want to be real. All right. It was urgent. Now you have my full and divided attention, Bible. Okay, and you, listener. Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. Boom, another heavy hitter. This one, seemingly disrespectful. His father, who I'm sure he cares about very much because for some reason he wants to bury him, whatever that interpretation may be, Jesus is not concerned with it saying, let the dead bury their own dead. Um, I can't say exactly what this means, but it seems have a tinge of disrespect. There's a couple other things I think that are going to be coming up that are going to feel the same way. When he got into the boat, uh, this is Jesus. Um, doesn't say, it just, he's, just says when he got into the boat, there's no, Context before that to give us any idea. His disciples followed him and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being covered with the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. The boat's being covered with the waves. And this isn't like some sort of yacht. This is just a boat and the waves are crashing down on top of it. So how is Jesus sleeping through this? I don't know. He's the son of God. And they came to him and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. He said to them, why are you afraid? You men 
of little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. Rebuked the winds and the sea, rebuking them. How dare you, wind, you sea? I don't know what it means to rebuke the sea, but anyway, that's what he did. And it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, what kind of man is this? That even the winds and the sea obey him? This should not be surprising. This man is healing people and casting out demons, people that he's not even near, like the centurion's servant. He's just saying he's healed, go home, and then he was good. Now he calms the waves a little bit, and these people are saying, what kind of man is this? Well, I don't know if they know yet, and I don't know if this has been expressed. I don't know, but um, at this point, we know that this is the Son of God. I don't think they know that, though. They have. I don't think Jesus has said explicitly, at least not in the text. Back to the Bible. When he came to the other side into the country of Gardenas, Gadarenas, two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way. And they cried out saying, what business do we have with each other? Son of God, have you come here to torment us before the time? Question mark. Before the time. That's interesting. Now there was a herd of many swine. For those of you keeping track at home, swine are pigs. Herd of many swine feeding at a distance from them. The demons began to entreat him saying, if you are going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, go, go. And they came out and went into the swine and the whole herd rushed down the steam bank into the sea and perished in the waters. The herdsmen ran away and went to the city and reported everything. And that's rough. This is the first mention of the herdsmen for the swine. So it's not just a field of pigs, um, which is, which is in and of itself interesting. It's worth noting that um, pork is not kosher and would not be eaten by uh, Jewish people. So that's something that's significant. These are unclean animals that um, are being herded. And this is not in Israel, but they're being herded and um, demons are wanting to jump into them and said, Hey, cast us out into these pigs. But it's interesting. These two men who are demon-possessed, want to be cast into a herd of pigs, and then those pigs automatically run off the cliff and drown. Make sense of that. And they say the Bible is pretty clear. It does not seem to be. The whole herd of swine ran off the cliff and drowned. The demons wanted to be cast out into a herd of swine. And then these herdsmen ran away and went to the city reporting everything, including what had happened to the demonics. Demoniacs, something like that. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they implored him to leave their region. Huh, can't imagine why. You just ruined our whole herd of swine and you're, you're fucking with demons and shit. We can't, please, please, please move on. Getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over the sea and came to his own city. His own city, um... Who do you think that is? Is that Nazarene? Capernaum. 
Jesus had left there to get away from the crowds at the time. Capernaum is his own city. That is in the footnotes of this old study Bible. And they brought him, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. A paralytic, you know, you'd see a man experiencing paralysis or a woman experiencing paralysis if you're looking for the updated PC version. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes said to themselves, this fellow blasphemes. That's a sentence you probably haven't heard before. You probably haven't said it either. This fellow blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing the thoughts, said, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? I would say, I'm not sure. I think in this instance, it would probably be to say uh, get up and walk, right? Because you have to be for God. You have to be God to forgive sins, I think is what he's saying there. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth and forgives sins. Oof, nice. And then he said to the paralytic, Get up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he got up and went home. But when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and glorified God who had given such authority to men. This is pretty specific. This is pretty impactful. This is Jesus making reference to, he has a godlike authority. He's also referred to the the son of man. He refers to himself as the son of man, which is interesting. We'll get into that later as to to what that exactly means later, because um, I don't particularly know right now. This is authority, and he does not just um, the sins. The sins is a significant part here, right? Like he's already healed uh, people experiencing paralysis. Okay, he's already done that. He's already healed sick people. No one seemed to care, but as soon as he says, you know, he goes up to a paralytic. The person probably just wants to walk, right? This this person, he just wants to walk, and this person that just wants to walk sees this dude, and he's like. I know that mug. That dude is healing people with paralysis. <laughs> Wouldn't you know it? I also have paralysis and he's walking my way. Neat. And then Jesus comes up to him and says, what up, homie? Your sins are forgiven. And this dude's like, well, what the fuck shit? Yeah, but I'm trying to walk today though. I can forgive my own sins if we try to walk. I'll do some sacrifices or some things, but there's no amount of sacrifices that I've found that I can do to get my legs to work. Can we talk about that? And then the takeaway from some scribes, some uh, what we will call church people, they're watching and saying, this dude, this dude is uh, telling some blas- blasphemous stuff. This guy saying his sins are forgiven. They had no issue when he was walking around healing people. But now that he's saying that people's sins are forgiven, well, that's uh, that's really more God's place. Uh, 
And he got up and went home. But when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and glorified God who had given such authority to men. So they're, uh, the people are giving praise to God because there seems to be some sort of representative of God coming down. And I'm going to be honest, he seems like a good dude. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in a tax collector's booth. Tax collectors, if you're keeping track at home, are bad people. They're real. They're not good. The Bible refers to them a lot. They're they're pretty shady, slimy people. Uh, no one really, no one really likes them. But they they seem to have a lot of power, a lot of wealth, and uh, they kind of do what they want. And this dude is in the tax collector's booth. This man himself must be a tax collector. He said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. So that's weird. This is Matthew. Um, if we note, every, all the signs are pointing to that this is in fact uh, the Matthew that's authoring this, this here book. The book of Matthew is what we're in chapter nine currently. And Matthew is sitting in a tax collector's booth. And I mentioned this at the first episode. He's going to be referred to as Huron as the tax collector. Um, and this is a mark of humility by Matthew. And a little bit of kind of like self, self-loathing kind of, I, I think it's a little bit negative actually, because he's only referring to himself as the tax collector. He's got no shame of his past because again, this is not a good thing to be. You don't want to be a tax collector in Bible times. It does not look good to you. You're right up there with um, prostitutes, which are, that's also a no-go. So it's pretty shameful what he's doing. And Matthew author of Matthew comes right out and say it says it that he was in the tax collector's booth. He's a tax collector. Yikes. Of course, my perspective is here is if, uh, if he writes this after Jesus has died and risen again, then his identity would be in Jesus, not in his past occupation or his past life of sin. I think as he's describing it here, it's a, it's a little strange, but that's a, uh, there's a lot of undertones with saying that he's a tax collector, but from here on out, Matthew is a tax collector. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collector sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. I like it. Uh, reclining at the table uh, in the house, uh, they use the term Gentiles would be reclining at the table in the kingdom of God with uh, all the godly people, I think it was like Jacob and um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They'd be reclined at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, of heaven, not heaven. And now Jesus is reclined at the table in a house and many tax collectors and sinners were there. It's a little bit of an echo of what they just said, right? What uh, was just said, what Jesus just said. Now he's kind of living that out. These, these sinners, these tax collectors and Gross inner people are hanging out with Jesus. Jesus Christ. Which is the son of God. So he's kind of living out this scenario that he's described. Reclining at the table. At the table is in italics. So I think that is supposed to be. I don't think I'm diving too deep to make that connection. Behold, many sinners 
Uh, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick, but go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call righteous, but sinners. Boom. Um, if you heard a little squeal, that was uh, the dogs barking. Don't, uh, don't, don't be concerned. Um, it is not the healthy that need a uh, physician, but those who are sick. So these Pharisees who are good church people of the time, they'd be the kind of people that are showing up to these uh, Bible time churches. They'd be like wearing dockers and plaid shirts from Costco and their shirts would be very tucked in and they would go up to Jesus and be like, oh, you shouldn't be hanging out with bad people. This is a, uh, it's not good. But Jesus, the son of God is saying, look, I'm not going to hang out with the good people because the good people don't know me. And don't even think about good as in ideas of morally good or bad, but people that are people that are set. The Pharisees don't need any help. They are not sick. Not at least in the way that was common here. They're not starving. They're not unable to walk. They're not demon-possessed. They are just kind of arrogant, cocky Pharisees in their dockers, and church shirts, uh, Costco shirts, I mean. I desire for compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Then the disciples of John came to him asking, oh, uh, let's also note that the disciples got asked by the Pharisees. The Pharisees came up to the disciples. Listen, this motherfucking teacher, it ain't shit, okay? He's hanging out with these crazy people. You shouldn't be following him. The disciples don't say anything. Jesus comes up and confronts the Pharisees directly, which you can expand on that in a way that God works. Then the disciples of John came to him asking, disciples of John, I believe, uh, referring to John the Baptist. Disciples of John. Uh, but it, it's not 100% clear. Came up to him asking, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So this is the disciples of John the Baptist. They're like, we're fasting. The Pharisees wearing dockers and Costco pledge shirts are fasting, but your disciples are not fasting. And Jesus said to them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken from them and they then they will fast. Jesus is with his disciples. It's time to celebrate. You're not going to be fasting. Uh, Jesus being referred to as a bridegroom here. You're not going to be fasting during the celebration. Time to celebrate. But days will come when he will. They will fast. 
Okay, someone wants to bargain, take it away from them, and they will fast. But no one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment. People put new wine into... Nor do people put new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wineskins will burst and the wine pours out and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into fresh wineskins. Both are preserved. Now, I've never used a wineskin. Couldn't tell you. But the patch makes sense. You don't put unshrunk patchwork. You don't cut a patch of fresh salvage denim. Patch it on to your... your uh, your Levi's, and then you, you know you wash both of them. Your old Levi's, they aren't going to shrink, but this new patch will. It's going to rip right through the denim, and you're just going to have a mess. You're going to have to repatch it. You don't do that. The wineskins, you can imagine. Don't put old wine into... Well, don't put new wine into old wineskins. While he was saying these things to them, a synagogue official came and bowed down before him and said, my daughter has just died. Synagogue official, this is like a church dude. He's not a Pharisee. He came, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and began to follow him and so does his disciples. So this is a church person, a church person that's chill with Jesus. And he's like, hey, listen, I see you've got powers. Okay, you're clearly, uh, he's not saying that he's the son of God necessarily, but he is definitely able to heal people. Can you come Make her live. Jesus got up. Everyone followed her. And the woman who had been suffering from the hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she was saying to herself, if only I touch his garment, I will get well. Um, and this is most likely referring to a uh, a Jewish sort of tassel, there'd be four tassels, maybe you've seen them before, on um, that Jesus would be wearing. And this is probably the lamest part of the podcast because I know that has some sort of significance, but I don't remember what. But it's something holy about it, and there's something there's something about that. I'm sorry, you shouldn't be listening to this podcast. So that's, that's on you. Um, but either way, she touches just a little piece of Jesus' garment, old Jewish tassel thing. But Jesus turning and saying to her, said, daughter, take courage. Your faith has, been, has made you well. At once the woman was made well. So problem solved. He's going on the way to a miracle and some person touches his jacket and boom. Two birds, one stone, side miracle, complete. Jesus came into the official's house, saw the flute players and the crowd in noisy disorder. He said, leave the girl. Leave. I'm sorry. Damn it. But he said, leave. For the girl has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. When the crowd had been sent out, he entered and took her by the hand and the girl got up. This news spread throughout all the land. All right, so time to bet money, listeners. Was she asleep or did Jesus just raise someone from the dead? No telling. No telling. But apparently they thought it would be ridiculous that this girl was asleep. Maybe she's in a coma. As a crowd of people, flute players, I assume some sort of... Um, 
typical fixtures of a time of mourning in that culture, uh, a note in my study Bible. So it's kind of like a, um, a funeral. They're at a funeral, essentially. And there's, there's a big, big hullabaloo about it. Um, funerals were big deals. They actually would hire professional mourners. And I'm just reading out this my study Bible. I don't really know shit. Hire professional mourners. Women whose task it was to wail plaintive, plaintively, plaintively, while reciting the name of the departed one, as well as any other loved ones who had died recently. With the result was noisy and chaotic. Okay, listen. You're hiring people, um, basically lose their shit really well and cry really hard. Can you imagine? They're just, um, you're hiring people into this funeral so that they can cry really loud. You ever go to a funeral and like, there's like a priest or something. And this dude did not know the deceased at all. Not even one bit. And uh, he's just, you know, going off the cue cards. Yeah, and he did this, and he fought in the service. And it's like, yeah, but bro, you never met him. You don't know him. Appreciate the uh, energy you're giving out, but it's kind of weird. That's what this whole thing is. These people are just crying. They're just shouting this person's name. Oh, no. You know, Brittany, she died. And, um, yeah, they never, they never met her. Or insert any other white girl name. You know. All right. Um, let's keep going. The girl got up. This news spread throughout all the land. Yeah, can you imagine? Yeah, they're having a funeral, and this Jewish guy came in, and he had uh, entourage with him. They were all grimy. And yeah, funeral over. Do you think they get paid, those mourners? They get sent home. Oh, shit. Fuck. Oh, my God. I need this gig. Oh, my God. They can't mourn if they come back to dead. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, have mercy on us, son of David. Son of David, if we're keeping track at home, this is uh, referring to the very beginning of the book where they go through the whole line. It's important that Jesus comes from David and uh, Jesus is on that line. Um, so son of David is saying like, almost like saying son of God. It is of significance because he's on David line and everyone knows Jesus is going to come from that line. When he entered the house, the blind men came up to him and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes saying, it shall be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened and Jesus sternly warned them. See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout all the land. God, listen, I told you not to tell anyone. I'm the son of God. You just admitted it. And now you're telling everyone. I told you not to. I just gave you vision. It's interesting to note that anytime one of these big deals is done, and obviously that girl was asleep, so she probably couldn't, you couldn't ask her about faith. But a lot of this is coming down to the belief in whether or not it will work predicates on whether or not it will work. I didn't say that very well. It's only going to work if you believe it's going to work. 
in some of these situations, Jesus is asking, do you believe that it can be done? They're like, yes. And then he should, it shall be done in accordance to your faith. Whatever you believe, it will be done in accordance to that. So what's your faith, huh? Asking the listener. Jesus might be asking a similar thing. What is your faith in? Um, you know, is it in uh, something you can't see? Is it in a stack of cash? Is it in your dashing good looks? Is it in the fact that good is inevitably happening at all times? I don't. I don't fucking know. Sorry if you're blind and you're listening to this because that would be a, be a little disrespectful. I apologize. Maybe a little too close to home. Um, their eyes were open, and Jesus sternly warned, "Do not." See that no one knows about this. And they went out and spread the news to him throughout all the land. Yada, yada, yada. As they were going out, a mute, demon-possessed man was brought to him. Someone who can't talk and is demon-possessed. That's the worst combo. I've been saying that for years. After the demon was cast out, didn't say that he cast it out. He just, after the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds were amazed. And they were saying, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees were saying, he casts out the demons by the ruler of the demons. Kachow, do you hear that? These Pharisees think the ruler of demons, you know who that is. These Pharisees are making some pretty big implications. Okay? Pretty big. This guy's only able to cast out demons because he himself is following Satan. Yeah, these Pharisees, these docker wearing plaid shirt, Costco motherfuckers are not kind to Jesus. They don't like him. You know, I've never accused anyone of, they just don't like, they, they start to, it's specifically when it's the, the stuff around the power, they, you know, yeah, and claiming that people's sins are forgiven, it's pretty extreme. This dude's extreme. He doesn't have a good PR team. The Pharisees are not taking to him at all. Unclear what Jesus' target demographic is, but uh, it doesn't. It seems to be like it's only regular people, but the church people, the Pharisees, the uh, overzealous kind of, I don't like him. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. The gospel, the good news of the kingdom, the kingdom being a little ambiguous here. But he's going into synagogues and proclaiming the gospel. He's going into churches. He's going to all the lands and preaching in churches. So he, uh, church is a loose word, synagogue for synagogues would be. Uh, remember, there aren't Christians here. There's, I was going to say a Christian. Synagogue is like a, a Jewish church instead of a Christian church. But there aren't Christians because um, unless you count his disciples and the people following him around, there's just a. Hebrew people, Jewish people. That's that's all there is right now, because Jesus is just showing up on the game. Okay, but he is preaching in these Jewish uh, churches, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. This is a big deal. The fact that he's healing all these people, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them, and because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Oh, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd, man. 
His people need a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Um, that's the craziest shit I've ever heard. And it clearly doesn't make sense. If I was his disciples, I'd be like, What? What are you talking about? What you, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few? Now, in um, my conservative evangelical upbringing, my assumption is that the harvest is harvesting these motherfucking souls. You understand? We're trying to save souls out here. Save lives, one thing, but save the souls. Saved and believed in Jesus. The interesting thing is, but there's no uh, believing in Jesus yet because he hasn't uh, died and been resurrected. So I don't really know what he's talking about. But the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There's people out here to be harvested. Their souls are to be harvested. It's a positive thing. Okay. Workers are few. Beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. I'm confused too. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Oh shit, big news. Um, and I, I know I kind of like joke about getting hyped up on, but that's really interesting, okay? Summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits AKA demons to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease, sickness, and every kind of sickness. Okay, listen, it doesn't say uh, to heal like low level colds and, um, you know, like very mild diseases. He's not saying that. Every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. His 12 disciples. Now, if you wanted to, you could extrapolate onto other disciples. For instance, the followers of Jesus today, they may also have that power. I'm not saying that's true. I don't know. But you could extrapolate for that to be the case. We should turn the page. We're in chapter 10 at this point. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. And we haven't uh, introduced them all yet, so... This is the grand introduction, the big 12. These are uh, important. The first, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. They, uh, we got, got those guys from the uh, fishing, fishing with their dad, I think. Um, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. Okay. So that's a little bit of a spoiler alert. Um, Judas does, and I try to do like a little bit of a radio sound effect back there. Uh, doesn't work. It sounds cooler in person. Uh, Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. Also note, Matthew is referred to as Matthew the tax collector. And that's our 12. Um, yeah, I didn't, couldn't tell you off the top of my head that that was the case. Simon Peter, Simon who was called Peter. Simon, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, Thaddeus, Simon, 
and Judas. Dope, that's 12. These 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go out to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Very interesting. I'm going to read some of the uh, footnotes here. Do not go in the way of the Gentiles. Christ did not forbid the disciples to preach to Gentiles or Samaritans if they encountered them on the way, but they were to take message first to the covenant people in the regions nearby. The covenant people being people of Israel, Israelites, Jewish people, good people. So he's starting them off with some low-hanging fruit. He's uh, starting them off on a sales plan. And he's got them the first set of leads. Listen, don't go for these tough sales. I got you some low-hanging fruit. Clock off a couple of these ones. You're going to feel good about yourself. Let's get you in the game. A, B, C. Always be closing. Let's get some souls, people. Uh, But don't go out. If you come across any of them um, on the way, then yeah, go ahead and grab them. Do not go in the way of the Gentiles. Don't go that way. Do not enter any city of the Samaritans. Don't. That'll be tough. I'd rather go the lost sheep, the house of Israel. And as you go, preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. That's a tough one to do. I live in America. Freely you received, freely give. Hmm. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper or Jordans, or Teslas, or cool watches, or Yeezys, or BMWs, or Patagonia jackets, or Apple MacBook Pros. Or ice on the wrist. Jewelry, if you give me to home. Versace seats, Gucci slides. Lifted Jeeps, Chevy trucks, you know what? Actually, I take that back. I think I got that wrong. I was actually just uh, doing some, no, I got it right. I, I, I got it a little bit too quick there. I was just going over some common consumeristic status things. Do not acquire gold, silver, or copper for your money belts, as Jesus was saying, or a bag for your journey, or even two coats or sandals or a staff. For the worker is worthy of his support. And whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it and stay at his house until you leave that city. Okay, so I was right. Um, it just took it to the next level. I'm saying the disciples should probably not be getting Teslas. But Jesus is saying, don't even have two coats. You know, don't have a spare. You just take the one and go out there, get the message out. One of the things I find interesting is, doesn't everyone know at this point? I feel like if Jesus were here now and trying to come, you know, explain this to people, it doesn't strike me that he would be telling people to get out, get as many souls as possible. That just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, in my mind, what kind of did the job? Like Christianity is the biggest religion in the world. Maybe Islam beats it out. It's big though. Watch out. 
Christians are everywhere. Um, but at this point, there's no Christians. Jesus is still alive. You can't believe in Jesus until he dies and rises again. So the, they're spreading good news. Um, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Does that mean, what does that mean? I don't know. I know it's, uh, actually, I'm going to switch back here. There's a note I can draw back to it in my study Bible about what that means exactly. Kingdom of heaven being at hand. Because specifically, does that mean it's already there? Jesus is already there and the kingdom of heaven is already there. Kingdom of heaven. This is an expression unique to Matthew's gospel. Matthew uses the word heaven as a euphemism for God's name, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of God's name to accommodate his Jewish readers' sensitivities. Ah, okay. So it's called the kingdom of heaven, not because it's heaven. It's because if you're Jewish, you don't say God's name. Okay. So, God's name is going to be referred to as God. And the rest of the scriptures, kingdom of God. But this is the kingdom of heaven, okay? Because he's accommodating his Jewish readers that might be offended at this, you know? So that's very interesting. He, um, Matthew was a tax collector. I don't think he was Jewish. He's a sinner, okay? He's out here, but he's still nice enough to accommodate about the kingdom of heaven thing. He's not saying the kingdom of God. Both expressions refer to the sphere of God's dominion over those who belong to him. God's dominion over those who belong to him. The kingdom is now manifest in heaven's spiritual rule over the hearts of believers. And one day it'll be established in a literal earthly kingdom. Is at hand is in one sense, the kingdom that is a, in one sense, the kingdom is at a present reality but in its fullest sense, awaits its future fulfillment. So it's saying kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the message. Uh, the kingdom of God is here. The rule of God is here. The kingdom of heaven is here. And it's starting really. That's what it is. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're kicking something off. Something is afoot. Now, specifically, they're sent out to the Jewish people, right? These 12 disciples are not told not to go to the Gentiles, not the Samaritans. The, uh, the chosen people, the kingdom of heaven, it's starting. It's here and it's coming. Both at the same time, it's being fulfilled as we speak. Oh man, get me all hyped up. I feel very, feel very religious today. I feel very, I dare say Christian. Um, I sent him out, kingdom of heaven, as a hand healed a sick, raised lepers freely. Do not acquire gold, silver, whatever city you enter is worthy in it. Whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it. Stay at his house until you leave that city. As you enter the house, give your greeting. If the house is worthy, give your blessing of peace. Peace be with you. But if it is not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. Oh shit, that's funny. Yeah, no, stay at someone's house because you're not going to have any money. So just stay at someone's house in the city. Go into their house. If it's worthy, um, 
make give him peace blessing. If it's not worthy, take peace blessing away. Peace not be with you. Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I say to you, it'll be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Sodom and Gomorrah is a callback to uh, early scripture, Old Testament. And uh, the city is destroyed. Only, uh, uh, my Bible's a little rough right now, let me think. I think two people escape, but one person turns into a pillar of salt on the way out. So I'm only going to say one person from the city escapes. Yeah, it's not a good place. A sinful place, if you will. And he's saying, it's going to be worse than that for those people that don't take hold of what you're saying. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Oh, shit. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, but beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues, and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your father who speaks in you. A reference to the spirit. The spirit is alive and well in this instance. So he's saying, don't worry about it. Listen, people are going to flip shit. They're going to probably try to throw you in prison. It's not good. But don't worry about what you're going to say in court. Not a big deal. Spirit of the Father, he's going to give you words when you need them. But don't like premeditate and try to figure it out. Um, um... Um, brothers will betray brother to death. Brother will betray brother to death and father, his child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. God shit. This is rough. You'll be hated by all because of my name, Jesus name, but is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. I don't know if we're supposed to extrapolate that onto the current world. You'll be hated by all because of my name. A lot of people don't like the Christians. I've made note of that. Um, but I don't think those people are really like the people that most people like really hate, you know, like the really like annoying Christians are kind of not really that Christiany based on this text. So uh, the idea of people still hating people because of uh, Jesus name. I don't know if that's the case, but at this time Jesus was gung ho. Listen, people are going to hate you. And that is because of me, the son of God. Okay. Not great. But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not finish getting through to the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. 
Um, that's that's we're getting we're getting deep into it. Jesus is really going off of some shit. I I'm in trouble trouble following until the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. Here we go with the slavery thing again. The Bible is not good for PR. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Beelzebul. What does Beelzebul mean? Beelzebul. The Philistine deity associated with satanic idolatry. The name came to be used for Satan. The prince of demons. But, okay, that's a problem. Um, if they call the head of the house Satan, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Okay, I'm going to have to put the bookmark in for a second because that's a problem. It seems like Jesus is referring to himself as, but people are going to be thinking he's Satan and they're going to maybe hate him for it. And because of that, yeah, this is weird. It gets complicated. What you're supposed to do here doesn't seem like Jesus is necessarily a great person to be following. He certainly doesn't have the respect of the Pharisees. The Pharisees seem to think he's Satan. And now he's acknowledging that people seem to think he's Satan as well. So it's not clear what's really going on here. I try to think of like, you know, I don't think you should just follow anyone, right? I don't, I don't like in the world today, like real people, real, okay, Poitras words, real people as in um, people that are still alive, not God or Jesus. But you got to choose like who your authority is, whether it's a news source or whether it's a person, but it's tough when even Jesus was acknowledging and totally aware that people thought he might himself be Satan. Yeah, listen, guys, uh, probably going to throw you in jail. Frankly, uh, if they think I'm Satan, they're, they're going to fucking hate your guts. I'm sorry. No, he doesn't even apologize. That would be blasphemy if I said that. Or heresy, I always get this confused. That's tough. So these disciples, they're just going to line up with it. All right, well, um, yeah, like we don't really think you're Satan. We'll go out there. I'm surprised only one of them betrayed him. Judas, get the fuck out of here. Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that they will that will not be revealed. Ah, or hidden that will not be known. Good. There's nothing that's concealed that's not going to be revealed. So eventually you're going to know the truth. Don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of that. Because if I really am, and this is me definitely extrapolating here, without even reading forward at all, if I really am Satan, we're all going to know soon. Okay. <laughs> if everything will be revealed at some point. Yeah, it's very confusing. This is not getting any more or less complicated. What I tell you in darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. That's very interesting. 
Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Boom! That's another hell reference. Direct. H-E double hockey stick hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? Sparrow prices were good back then. I can tell you that right now. And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs on your head are numbered. So do not fear. Are you more valuable than many sparrows? Listen, in the words of um, former president-elect Kanye West, president-elect, no, I got that wrong. President-candidate. In the words of former president-candidate Kanye West, uh, fear God or you're going to fear everything else. Love God or you're going to love everything else. Right? That was what we're talking about here. That is what we're talking about here. I say with certainty that I don't actually have. Do not fear those who kill the body. This is looking back a little bit. Do not fear those who kill the body, which is anyone. Anyone can kill you. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Listen. These people can fuck with you, but God can fuck with you. So I would worry more about that than what some of these motherfuckers think. So listen to God, not these mugs out here that's trying to uh trying to like kill you and throw you in jail and stuff. Cause that's when this really counts, when H E double hockey sticks gets involved. And then he talks about sparrows a little bit. Therefore, anyone who confesses me before men. I will also confess him before my father who is in heaven. All right, that's powerful. I will also confess him before my father who is in heaven. That's you want that. You do if you're going up to heaven. You don't want you don't want Jesus not confessing. Therefore whoever confesses me before men, me being Jesus, I will confess him before my father who is in heaven, but whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth, for I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Heard that before. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. (sighs) All right, what's Jesus making reference to here? He's making reference to being a bitch, okay? Fucking turning these uh, men against father and daughter against her mother. Damn, Jesus, PR, please. Public relations, this is bad marketing for the movement. Market your movement well, please. Speaking of marketing a movement, uh, before President-elect Biden became President-elect Biden, he has a running mate named Kamala Harris. And she, am I saying that right, Kamala? I feel like I've said it out loud many times. Now I'm nervous. She did um, something with Complex where she she did, a, it's like a sneaker store thing. Um, it's like sneaker shopping with random celebrities and it's usually people like Pete Davidson or Kevin Hart or something. And now it's Kamala Harris. And um, yeah, I was 
it was pretty lame. It was pretty clear that they were just trying to cater to a young audience, a young, cool, hip audience. And Kamala Harris was cool and hip in college based on what she was saying. But these dudes, they had her, uh, as far as PR goes, marketing Kamala Harris was just in a pantsuit or whatever the fuck she was in, or a regular suit even. I, I don't really fucking know. But they never even shot her shoes. I'm pretty sure she was in some basic ass heels. They're not sneaker shopping. She talked about Converse for a little bit, and they talked about a bunch of political stuff. That just seems so lame. If you really want to do it, get someone who's in there in sneakers. Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. You're on this complex sneaker shopping thing, and you're... Talking about Converse? And you didn't buy anything? Drop a stack on some Jordans, please. It's the least. What is your campa- campaign going to do? What are they going to do? She's out here buying Jordans. Get the fuck out of here. Just buy some Jordans. Buy some Yeezys. I don't care. But it just seemed weak. PR, trying too hard. Biden campaign. Congratulations to Joe Biden and his campaign. And liberals everywhere. I'm saying this like I, uh, I feel like uh, coming off negative. I'm really not. I'm just, I'm just making jokes here. Um, okay, Jesus Christ is doing something here in the Bible. He's a uh, hidden darkness whispered shadow from the rooftops. Two barrels. Oh yeah, he's fucking up the whole shit here. These. I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me and he who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me and he who does not take his cross and follow after me, excuse me, is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. He who has lost his life for my sake will find it. So what, 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 what is, what is Jesus talking about here? Well, exclusively he's making reference to family structures. I feel like I'm recycling this from other people. I've heard it from him, but, um, yeah, he's talking about, yeah, he's, uh, he's here to mess up the, the structures that we all know and love the places you know, in in an ideal world, in a perfect world, uh, fathers and mothers are where we feel at home the most, right? Where we feel safe, where we feel known. Jesus is coming in, messing that up. You know what I mean? That's not his value. His value is not in these traditional structures of which we feel safe and we feel comfortable and we feel loved. That's not what he's here to support. Honor your father and mother, as it says in the Bible, but he's not trying to support that. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. A man's enemies. For he who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. This is some crazy shit. All right, he who loses... Has found his life will lose it, and who has lost his life for my sake will find it. That's very powerful too. He has found his life will lose it. If you make a life for yourself and you become hot shit, you're gonna lose your life. That's what Jesus is saying here. But if you lose your life, if you quit the job, sell the Tesla, for Jesus' sake, you will find your life. 
doing everything I can to get a Tesla. Model 3s are very fast, and I like the look of the Cybertruck. looks very futuristic. I must have one. I'm going to have to put in some extra hours at the coffee shop. He who receives and receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Him who sent me being, of course, uh, capital G, God. He who receives a prophet in the name of the prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And he who, and whoever in the name of the disciple gives to one of these little ones every cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Okay, so this is talking about, we're basically on the same wave of earlier when they're talking about, yeah, if you pray in these long, drawn out prayers, then you're going to get your reward. Your reward being that everyone's going to see you and think you're really cool and that is the reward you're going to get. And he's talking about this with other people. If you're interested in receiving a righteous man's reward in the name of the righteous man, if you're doing your good shit for a righteous man, then you're going to get rewarded from that righteous man. If you're doing your cool stuff in the name of the prophet, some prophet, do you know a prophet? Do you know a prophet personally? If you're doing your shit in the name of some worldly savior, you're going to receive the reward of that worldly savior. And that's not necessarily like a bad thing, but understand that's what it's, that's what it's coming down to. Doing the right things will get you the right thing reward. Okay. Whoever in the name of the disciple gives to these to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Respect and admiration from disciples, you know? Things like that. You're still gonna have that. You're still going to have that, but that's not supposed to be the goal in all this. The goal isn't to impress people. Uh, my screen shut off on my computer. I have to type in my password. This is sucks. I'm trying to wrap it up and land the plane. I'm just not sure how long we've gone. All right. We're still recording. That's good. If we weren't, I'd be very bummed. And we're at like an hour nine, so it looks like. So we, we've been going a while. Good. Um, but we just came to the end of chapter 10. I'm, I'm going to read that last passage one more time because I think this is important. I've had a lot of ideas circling, and uh, maybe this resonates with you, maybe not. But the idea of like, I don't know, I don't know if I can explain it super well. But the idea of wanting people to think you're a good person, I don't even mean that in a big sort of philosophic way or some virtue signaling way. I just mean it in the way of like if you if you say something or do something and say like, I just want you to know that I'm not hurting you or like that I'm trying to do the best for you or I want you to think I'm a good person 
I don't want you to think I'm the enemy or something. I don't want you to think I'm a bad person. I just think that's kind of like, I think it's just kind of lame. You know, I don't want you to think that I'm, that's why you're doing good things. Is that what it is? Because you don't want someone to think that you're a, a bad person. No, no, do the good things because you want the good things to happen to other people and you want them to experience that. Not so they think you're a good person. Not so you can sleep at night. Don't do good things so you can sleep at night. That's so lame. Oh my goodness. Do good things because uh, it's what you live for. That's pretty ambiguous. Maybe I'm on my high horse. Definitely on some shit for sure. I'm going to read that last paragraph one more time. He who receives you receives me. He who receives you receives me. Someone that receives these Christian disciples receives Jesus. And he who receives Jesus, or he receives me, he who receives Jesus, Jesus receives God who sent me. And I'm switching some words out here. He who receives you receives me. He who receives me receives him who sent me. By indirect correlation, he who receives a Christian receives God. God works through uh, Christians, or at least that is the goal. But he who receives a prophet in the name of the prophet shall receive the prophet's reward. He who receives a righteous man in the name of the righteous man shall receive the righteous man's reward. He, whoever and whoever in the name of the disciple gives to one of these little ones, even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. But it's not the kingdom of heaven. Is it going to heaven? Is that the uh, reward we're looking for? I don't know. It's not very clear. Um, that wraps it up. That wraps it up real, real nice and confusing. We're getting our way through Matthew quite a bit. I appreciate you hanging in there. Appreciate you listening. I hope this was helpful. I hope this was interesting. At the very least, it was engaging. Uh, my goal is not to be preachy or be doing sermons or anything. My goal is just to be reading the Bible and giving some context and making it a little bit more interesting instead of being bland. When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. I'd rather be when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he motherfucking departed from there to teach his disciples to preach in the motherfucking cities. Okay. But I digress. I do appreciate you. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a very good week and uh, check in with episode four for Matthew 11. See you next time.